0: that you've been enjoying this sermon through the series through the book of Colossians like I have. It's been amazing for me. Uh, This morning we're going to talk about other people doing something that places a measurement on you that's not really God's measurement that he's placed in your life. Now, when I was at Cedarville, uh, they did this, they, they had a, an old cafeteria, it was a Christian school, and at that cafeteria, that um, the way it was set up at, at one time, had been a gymnasium. So there was a, an upper deck and a lower deck. And, if you were at Cedarville every year, we were invited to participate in a prayer meeting that happened in the upper deck. I can tell you're impressed, aren't you? And and this prayer meeting was completely optional and you'd be able to stand back and um, be, be honest because I was one of those guys that attended the prayer meeting. You're impressed, aren't you? And that, uh, that, that prayer meeting, you would go and they'd serve a breakfast, normal breakfast. You'd grab your, your tray and then you'd go up to the top and you you'd pray together. And uh, but, but you could also look down, literally look down upon those who didn't attend the prayer meeting. I won't tell you where Allie was at, my wife, but, but I can remember one time very specifically catching eyes with someone. It was supposed to be during the time when we're praying, right? But I, I caught eyes with someone and I could just see he looks away. There's kind of, kind of some shame associated with it because I'm spiritual up top in the prayer meeting. And and, and then this happened to me my senior year. I've shared with you that I had the privilege of serving as the the student body chaplain at Cedarville. And a, a, and a hint is that uh, the person who... You're supposed to attend optional prayer meetings when you're the chaplain. <laughs> and the night before uh, the, this prayer meeting happened, I was out. I was a youth pastor at a local church, and I had been out really late. And I had remembered you know just that I wanted to grab a bite to eat before my first class. So I had my tray, and I was going to grab a seat, and I look up, and instantly I caught eyes with a gentleman who was sitting up in the prayer meeting, and I was overwhelmed by the fact that I realized I had missed the prayer meeting, right? And, and, and it might not mean that much to you, but but what I had chosen to do in that time period was that I had chosen to place a measurement on what my spirituality was based upon attending a goofy prayer meeting. Did you notice when I said that, that it really wasn't focused in on Christ or about like what we were doing or even the subject of prayer, right? It was about my ability to be able to, for three years, be able to have a measurement that that allowed me to say, oh, I'm spiritual. And that maybe someone else didn't quite measure up to that same level of spirituality. The way the apostle Paul is gonna word this in the last few verses in the book of Colossians chapter two is that he's he's gonna word this in a way that he's gonna talk about people who are gonna add to their faith something that's going to ultimately disqualify you in your walk with the Lord. Now, what's interesting about it, I think if we look at it in this perspective, is that our natural tendency is to want to find a way to measure ourselves that is an addition or separate from God's perfect standards in the ways that he wants to see us walk worthy of our calling in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the book of Colossians, he's gonna warn us and he's gonna say something that's very specific. He's gonna say, be careful about not allowing someone else to disqualify you in your faith. And this this phrase, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians chapter two. We're gonna be studying verses 16 through 23 that that, that he's gonna describe to us this this temptation. There's gonna be four very specific ones that he's gonna articulate that people want to, to add to the simplicity and the truth of God's word and to say that there's a, there's a secret handshake. There's a way to find more in your faith. And if you just do this, if you just jump through this hoop, if you just do it this way, then you will attain the kind of faith that's, that's special. C.S. Lewis talks about this temptation of being a person who's in the inner circle, that we, we wanna be people who experience the fullness of God, but that there's this, this temptation to want to, have more. And that temptation, according to the warning of the Apostle Paul, remember, he had never been to Clossy. He was writing to a church that he loved, that he cared about, that he'd heard about, and he wanted to protect them from the myths that could distract them from the truth and the freedom and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, Be careful. These four things have the potential of disqualifying you from your faith that they're addition and subtraction to what God has said. And so there's this statement. He says this in chapter um, two, verse 18. He says that we ought, to, we ought to be people who do not allow anyone to disqualify us. And then he insists, and, and he goes through all the, we're going to look at each of these, these things that he's warning us. But but I want us to begin thinking about this word. Do you notice that he doesn't say, don't be disqualified, but he says, don't let someone else disqualify you. How many of you care about the Tour de France? It's happening, or it's happening this week. Nobody here does. That's great. Okay, there's a few of you that care about the, My, I was on vacation this week in Florida with my family, and one of my siblings, he loves the Tour de France, and he was explaining to me all the details about the Peloton and how it all works, and it was fascinating to me, sort of, and um, <laughs> um, but, but one of the things that we talked about was, was a name that's been synonymous with cycling for a long time, Lance Armstrong. You know the story that, that Lance was a man who had, his team had won the Tour de France many times and year after year, he was defiant of those who would accuse him of using drugs to improve his performance. In 2001, Lance said, the simple truth is we outwork everyone. But when you perform at a higher level at a race, you get questioned about doping. In 2012, he said, I've never doped. I've competed as an endurance athlete for 25 years with no spike in performance, passed more than 500 drug tests and never failed one. Then just months after that, after all of this was exposed, this is what Lance said. So after he'd been lying about it for Uh, over 15 years. He says this in January 2013. He says, all the fault and all the blame here falls on me. I viewed this situation as one big lie that I repeated a lot of times. I made my decisions and he goes on to talk about it. Lance made a decision to try to improve himself in such a way that he could compete with those athletes, even though he was a great athlete. And ultimately what ended up happening is he found himself banished from a sport that he loved, right? He disqualified himself. But what the apostle Paul is saying very specifically in this text is that he's saying, be careful about letting someone else disqualify you it's a fascinating statement. Now I don't know how many of you are Olympic athletes that that there's all kinds of illustrations about us staying in our lane or doing something that that someone else presses us out of the way. But but I think this probably fits closer as my niece and I were talking about this passage of um of scripture this last week and she she said that she had a friend who um, went got went to get her license just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this this friend went to the driver's ed test, and I'm pretty convinced that this is the same person who gave me my driver's ed test uh, a thousand years ago. That that she said that the instructor, as they approached an intersection, said, "Go ahead and go through the intersection," and and so she did. But what she didn't pay attention to was the red octa- oct- octagon sign that has the letters STOP written across it, right? She, she blew right through the, the intersection and she ignored the stop sign and, and it was because she heard this person who looked looked important that had the outfit she she was trustworthy she said go through the intersection but what she didn't say was stop obeying the laws of the land and what happened to this young lady is that she was disqualified from getting her driver thank goodness right. Uh, she, she was disqualified from getting her driver's license because of the fact that she listened to someone. In a way, it wasn't even what she wanted, but she listened to it in such a way that she ignored it. Now, I did get my license, but I stopped like three feet beyond where I was supposed to because I thought about it and I thought, wait a second, she's not telling me to ignore the truth, but what she's doing is she's testing me. And there's a component of this that this is tremendously personal And when we choose to accept someone else's standards that are additions to what God's word teaches us, what we can find ourselves in is this category of being someone who's disqualified from the security of being able to say that my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that my salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So he warns us, the first point this morning is that you and i personally must avoid being disqualified by adding anything to our faith that is not of the lord jesus christ very simple very straightforward book of hebrews written about the sufficiency of christ it reminds us he's got it he's given us the truth the way the truth and the life that that there's nothing that we need to add to the truth of christ and so So adding to the gospel changes our hope of salvation into something that's transactional, that's man-made, that's small. I love this this phrase. As we've been studying the book of Colossians, for those of you who are joining us, we're talking about being rooted and established in Christ Jesus. The, The roots go deep. And this phrase flows out of the book of Colossians. Christ in us the hope of what? What's it say? Christ in us, the hope of glory. That means that we're looking forward to being absent from the body and present with the Lord. But when we choose to take on someone's standards, they're, they're measurements that are not the measurements of God. And I suggest to you that this is what we love to do. We love to lower this. St- Did you notice that it was just six feet tall, right? That happens to be what I am, Right. But the moment that that I walked into that room and I didn't measure up to the standard, I experienced the fullness of placing myself under the judgment of someone else. And the reality of it was we weren't even playing by God's rules. We were playing by something that was less, that was shorter, that was different. And it was an addition to what God had said, it was a disqualifying rule because of the fact that it had nothing to do with God. God wasn't even talked about in the process but it was something that was smaller, lesser. Then I wanna remind you as we're going through this that the deceiver wants nothing more than to confuse you and to ignore that statement in your life, that he's devoted to distracting you from the sufficiency of Christ in your life, that he wants you to believe that you need something more, something added to it in order to allow yourself to be fully secure in Christ, and it's just a lie. It's a desperate lie. There's there's a myth when it comes to the temptations that surround us that that we can just, we just need just something a little more, a special secret handshake that gets us into a deeper place in our understanding of God. This myth of more is going to permeate all four of the things that we talk about today that Paul warns us about, but in a particular way. If you look with me in verse 16, we're going to see him articulated in a way that in that culture and in that day, these are pretty traditional religious practices that were done by Jews that some could say, this is what Jesus did. He grew up in a Jewish home. He did these practices. And they're going to say to them that you need this measurement that's going to help you to understand what, what it means for you to be appropriately spiritual. It says this in verse 16. Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Wait, the therefore that's there is significant because it's reminding us. Last week we talked about how we take our transgressions and they're nailed to the cross, right? The sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross was so significant. We're secure in him. We're full in him. Now he's saying, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if you heard those words in those days, you would have been able to instantly think these are Jewish traditions. These are religious practices that are really common, all five of these that are described. And I I think that Paul's simply saying to us, be aware of the fact that the deceiver wants you to believe that you need a special religious accomplishment to be more accepted by God and to have a deeper religious experience. When I was, uh, when I was uh, um, younger, I went backpacking with one of my best friends. And one of the things that we did um, was that we had a map and it was a pretty good map. But we, we found ourselves out of water, and it was on our third day, and we were so frustrated that we couldn't find the source of water that there was this puddle. And I can remember getting out my little pump and the filter, and I pumped this puddle, and it had bugs in it, and it was nasty, and, and we, we drank that. We camped by this puddle with the bugs and the mosquitoes, and you get the picture, right? What, what we'd find the next morning when we continued on the trail that we were just... Just feet away, literally feet away from this beautiful water fountain that was just just fresh water and and we we had to laugh about how silly it was that we we set aside something that was that was beautiful and real for something that really had no comparis- comparison to the real thing and what what i 'm convinced of when it comes to individuals who want to press on to us the religious myth of more is that they're saying by having this special secret handshake or this this special experience, that you're going to be able to experience more of something that misses out on the very fundamentals of the promises of a God who says to us things like, I've come, that you can experience the kind of satiating thing that makes you never thirst again because of my living water. When I was a youth counselor, a camp counselor, at age around age 18. I attended a, a Christian camp in the area. Was a, I had a great summer. But there was one night that I was invited to come to a special meeting. And, and you, can't, you can't make this up. It was such a, a weird experience where somebody had gone into the showers and they'd turn on the showers all hot. And there's this room and you walked in and, and there were some people who I didn't even recognize. And, and they wanted to share with the other counselors, it was just the counselors, but there's this extra special way to get to know God in a special way. And they, they shared kind of the secret handshake as to how you do it. And I remember sitting there as we're going through, I didn't know what I was getting into when when I say you can't make it up, it was just weird. But, but at the end of the time, one of the things that I thought about was, I was like, I, 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 I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. I don't understand why there's a, a feeling that I need to add to my faith in a special way, something that's unique and uniquely experiential. And what was amazing about it is that the individuals that were putting it on, because I got to spend the summer with them just realized that they they didn't always measure up to the standards of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that they weren't measuring up to the standards of God, but they, they wanted to share something that communicated to me when I really processed it, that my faith, the way that I was experiencing it, with an emphasis on the truth of God's word in my life and the recognition of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, with the recognition that God indwells us, that they felt like they needed to have something more. And in doing that, it eclipses the very fundamentals of the faith that we hold so dear. These five exercises that are mentioned in Colossians 2, 16 through 17 are ones that would have been very common in the Jewish culture and the Judaism of the day. And this served as a precursor to Christ. At Romans, it talks about it being a tutor. The law was a tutor to help us to be able to understand the work of Christ. But what's intriguing to me in this is that the deceiver wants to change my standard of measurement to, to, uh, from God's standards. And there are standards in God's word. We're gonna talk about them in Colossians, convictions, and, and biblical practices that, that convict us of, our, of how to grow in our faith. But there's, there's an element of this that, he want, that the deceiver wants us to trade God's standards with man-made standards that people can attempt to live up to. And in that process, I believe that they can judge in such a way that ultimately they find themselves under the very judgment that they're using to judge. Did you know that they say statistically that you are going to see about 4,000 advertisements today? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But on the internet, uh, on billboards, that you're gonna be exposed to 4,000. And, and here's what I think happens to us when we're kind of bombarded by images and commercials and advertisements is that, that inside it just breeds a discontentment inside of us that says, if I just had that one thing more, I just, I, what I have is not sufficient enough, I need something more. And it's amazing that Paul's warning us here that that can happen in our faith. That we can actually look at our faith and say, if I just had that one thing more, then I would be complete and full. This leads to a second myth that I believe is very obvious in verses 18 and 19, and that is the myth of a new and improved faith. I had one person explain to me there's the old testament there's the new testament and they were describing a cult that they believed in and they said and then this is the new new testament right this is this is the the newer revelation that that helps us to understand how we ought to live and the way the that the apostle paul words this is that he he says it like this in verse 18 he says let no one disqualify you remember that word that we looked at already insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a gross growth that is from God. Asceticism is the Greek word for humility or self-abasement. Some, some believe this is a form of fasting where you'd, you'd fast in such a way that your spirituality was attempted to be increased by your your physical outward fasting this this self harm that 's done is done in such a way to say that this helps me to understand God in a different way. Others would rely on another mediator, this description of angels um, or the worship of angels. I just want to warn you if you 're ever in a context where someone wants to add another mediator to the Lord Jesus Christ, another way to reach God, whether it's saints or whether it's Mary or that. Whatever that extra mediator is, that what it does is it diminishes the sufficiency and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews emphasizes that fact, saying that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient in and of itself. There's one mediator between God and man. And in this context, they we're tempted to worship angels, ancestors, and other ways that rely on another mediator other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, another word that's described here is the visions, the, that they're puffed up visions, a higher level of faith based upon this low sensuous imagination. Any of you have seen a peacock before? I have a little beagle. It's funny. We, and when we lived in the Bahamas, there were peacocks all over the place. And in California, they were actually wild peacocks that came into people's houses, which is kind of cool. But um, the, the peacock is fascinating in the fact that when that peacock really wants to get a date, they will put their feathers up big time. And, and they go from being about the size of my beagle to being this massive thing. And it's, it's all a show to show it's... It's beauty. And and there's a component of this that that he's warning us that people can do that with religious things. That they can use outward religious symbolism and declarations and practices to draw attention to themselves. And the way Paul words it, he says, they're just puffed up. They're, They're confusing the message with the messenger. That that they're built, this is built on their unsanctified imagination, their physical earthly imagination. And ultimately what he's warning us is he's saying that they've, they've given up Christ as the source of spiritual growth. And they're just looking for something new. I love this passage of scripture and I'm haunted by this passage of scripture. In John 15, it says, it says that he says to remain in me. And if he says, apart from me, you can accomplish. Do you remember what it says? It says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. Now it haunts me because there's a there's a component of this, of, of understanding that the external stuff does not define what's going on inside of me. And the apostle Paul's warning that if you're puffed up and you're working on these surface things that that you're missing out, and it doesn't help you, the process of sanctification becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, he says that it, it ignores, you're, you're not holding fast, you're not listening to the head, that Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole body with its, is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, it grows and its growth is not from God. If we ignore the head of God, if we try to add other substitutes that fall short. I like the way Alexander McLaren puts it bluntly. He says, there's only one thing that will put the collar on the neck of the animal within us, and that is the power of the indwelling Christ. So there's people who wanna wanna come up with another way, another secret handshake, another. Religious experience that, that ultimately comes from a sensuous mind that's just falling short of the, the beauty and the profound clarity of the truth of God's word. The third myth that shows up is a more inclusive faith. Many teach an ecumenical fuller gospel that integrates components of other belief systems. We've been calling it the build bear approach to your faith. You know, pick and choose what you want, spiritualism, ancient religious practices, traditions, etc. But But he says this in verse 20. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, remember baptism, that we're, we're baptized with Christ and then we celebrate our new life through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? This, this is, is so significant for us because somewhere in our culture, we've decided that the highest value is sincerity. If I believe something is true, then then all the paths lead to God. That's what we say. And it ignores the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. But, but <laughs> I appreciate this. Now, um, Edwin Mueller um, tells this, this story about Steve Kerr, or not Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr's father, um, who coached the Celtics many years ago. And he said this, we'd lost seven games in a row and I decided to give a psychological pep talk before the game with the Celtics. I'm sorry, they're playing against the Celtics, get it right. Kerr said, I told Bob Boozer to go out and pretend that he was the best scorer in basketball. I told Jerry Sloan to pretend that he was the best defensive guard. I told Guy Rogers to pretend that he could run an offense better than any other guard on the floor. and I told Mueller to pretend that he was the best rebounding, shot-blocking, scoring center in the game. You guys got it? Coach is telling him, go out, pretend you're the best, visualize that you're the best. We lost the game by 17 points. <laughs> Goes on to say, I was, I was pacing around the locker room afterwards trying to figure out what to say. When Mueller walked up, put his arm around me and said, Don't worry about it, coach, just pretend we won. <laughs> we know in our hearts that sincerity is not enough to, to just hope something. I I'm not kidding that I tried with my Superman cape to jump off the roof of my house and it did not work out for me very well. Right? Sincerity has to not to submit to the authority and the truth of of the commandments of God. That it's not just a sincere faith that an individual has, but it's one that's grounded and established in an object. This leads to the fourth myth of insufficiency that we see, and that's the insufficiency of God's commands. Paul warns them in verse 21. He says, they're going to say things to you. Remember, he, he's warning them, they're going to approach you with this and they're going to say things to you like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that perish as they are used. This is, this is almost a vulgar statement that he's saying. He's talking about the, the process that as we eat, that we, we process things and ultimately they become waste. And he's saying, saying this statement, to, like they're, they're worrying about things that are consumed and passed along. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, which is no religion at all, and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value. They're useless in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, it is important that we recognize that we have to be very cautious to anybody who would add anything to God's word as a standard to us. In fact, I'll give you a hint. In, in Genesis 3, we see that Satan is a master at doing this. If you know your Bibles, you know that in Genesis 3, that, that Satan came to Eve in the garden, and, and he's described as this, this serpent that is crafty, extremely crafty. And what he says to Eve is he says, Didn't God tell you that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And, and, and the reality was God had said to him, or to Adam and Eve, you can't eat that tree. There's one tree, very specific. You can't eat that tree. So Satan comes in and he says, he says you, you can't eat any tree, any tree in the garden. Now, now, I want you to think with me about what's so clever about this. Is that ultimately he's saying that God doesn't love you enough to provide for you. He wants to restrict you. He wants to keep you from experiencing the blessings of life. And in that process, Eve, in her own self, has her own version of adding to what God had said. He had said, don't eat of the tree. But Eve, in Genesis 3, she says that God said not to touch the tree. And it, and it might sound so subtle, but what we have to understand, kind of like the basketball players, the reality is they just needed to practice more. They needed to work on the fundamentals. They need to focus in on the truth. And that is getting better at basketball. But what they wanted to do was to to find a better way. And what happens is that Satan in his masterful skill of deceiving individuals is that he wants to add to the restrictions. They attempt to make something neutral or natural and and manipulate it and turn into a way to choose to manipulate God. I'm gonna rephrase that. These restrictions attempt to make something natural and a gift from God into an empty man-made attempt at spiritual manipulation. That's what they want to do. Iron, Henry Ironside puts it this way. He says, One may shut himself up in a monastery in order to escape the world, only to find out that he's taken the world in, in with him. I think, I think that this, this helps us. If we go back to the illustration that I began with about that prayer meeting, is that, is that I wanna ask you to, to search in your own life. What are, what are the things that you are choosing to use that are a standard of measuring someone else's faith that really aren't God's standards of measuring someone's faith? Do you have those in your life? And, and to see the warning that the Apostle Paul is warning us against is he's saying, don't let someone else judge you with those standards, you're secure In the fullness and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a component of this that you can rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ and not allow yourself to come under the judgment of other individuals who want to say, if you really loved God, then you'd add this to your life. If you really loved God, then you'd do this. If you really loved God. Did you see what those last words were in verse 23? as we close this message, he said, these things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father God, as we come before you and just pray for each one of us today, and I I pray for us to to be able to search our hearts and to, Ask ourselves a few very simple and yet straightforward questions, and that is, are we choosing to allow anyone to disqualify us from our faith by adding to the clarity and simplicity of the truth of the gospel? And, and we we pray your hand of protection on our church over over the temptation that we have in our in our earthly minds to say, what well, what if there's just a secret thing? What if it's just something more, something? That I need. Lord, I pray that that for us the thing that would eclipse any other measurement would be the sufficiency and clarity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in you we lack nothing. And Lord, I, I pray for us that, that we would be individuals that understand what it means to live in in that reality of being perfectly qualified for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.